Some of you remember or know that Penny and I were over at Bedford Bible Baptist Church from 1975 to 1980. And during that time, uh, Northfield became more and more involved in our lives as you began to pray for us and to begin supporting us along with 18 other churches for Zambia at that time. We had joined the mission and went to Grand Rapids Baptist Bible College for uh, info mission. And while we were there, an Evangelical Baptist Mission or EBM treasurer, Mr. Paxson, came up to us while we were there and said to us, uh, sorry, but Zambia has closed. Uh, years of, of strategizing and envisioning going to Zambia and then possibly uh, somewhere else, but that's what was said to us. Um, and so uh, immediately we began to uh, call the New York City Harbor because our 20 barrels were down there on the dock ready to be boarded on a cargo ship to go to Zambia. <clears throat> Zambia closed because of the copper mines. There was a, uh, uh, a war on, on the verge uh, of, of occurring between the, the, the adjacent countries and Zambia over the copper mines, and so they evacuated all of the Americans, and thus they took the missionary that EBM had there and brought out, and then we were, uh, can't go there. Well, our hopes and our desires all of a sudden were dashed. And within 10 days, we are on our way to South Africa. And so that's where South Africa comes in. We needed church planters down there, and, and you know the story that was history. But one of the issues or one of the seasons in our lives was all of a sudden our plans have changed. And so the hope that we had, which is expectant, hope. It's not iffy, it's expectant, and we'll get into that later, was completely uh, annihilated. Uh, and, then, and then God gave our souls uh, delight again as we then made our way down to South Africa. But prior to going, some of you remember this also, we moved from Bedford <clears throat> to Binghamton, while we waited for our visas to go to South Africa. Normally, a visa stamped in your passport for South Africa takes between two and four weeks. Pretty much that's the way it is anymore, uh, even today. South Africa, you do not need a visa anymore. They want your money quick so you don't have to worry about visas and everything. So they just they let you come in and you get your visa at the airport usually takes two to four weeks. We moved to, South, to Binghamton to be closer to my mom and dad who were in Binghamton, and my dad was not in good health at the time. Two to four weeks went by, no visa. Three months went by, no visa. We went down, took our red stretch van, 15-seater that we had for... Uh, pre-field pre ministry, and we went to New York City and tried to park it somewhere. Well, that's easier said than done, 
the, as some of you know, the parking down there, they won't even take a van, let alone a 15-seater. So we went down to chat with the council, a consulate down there, the South African consulate. Um, is there a reason why uh, our, our, our visa isn't stamped yet? And you know, these dear folks, um, they just look at you. They may smile, they may not, uh, but it's, they just say it's paperwork. Uh, dare you say anything? Absolutely not. So back into the 15-seater again with my family and back to Binghamton. We did that three times. God uh, is marvelous, isn't he? He's faithful and he knows what he's doing and he has his plan for us. The 10th month of our stay in Binghamton, no visa. 10 months with three visits to New York City. The 10th month, my father passed away. I buried my dad. Now, only born-again Christians, evangelicals, know what, what I mean when I say it's a privilege. It was a privilege. Not so much a pleasure, but it was a privilege to preach and speak at my dad's funeral because I knew where he was. He was sitting next to the Lord Jesus and around the throne of God. One month later, my visa came. Eleven months. That's unheard of. Why would anybody wait eleven months to get to the field? Our hopes were dashed once again. Lord, what are you doing? I thought we were supposed to go. <laughs> not yet John not yet John and Penny and kids wait just a moment a moment 11 months I was home when my dad passed away well God gave us fruitful ministries in South Africa as you know and it's repeat I repeat this all the time four churches later 14 years later uh, a lot of discipling, a lot of people came to know the Lord. You were right there next to us in terms of prayer and financial aid and, and, and support and everything. And we came home on furlough, and you guys are always here. I love it on Wednesday mornings when our senior saints come and pray around the, uh, the uh, hospitality room. I sit in my office and cry. It's prayers like that that keep missionaries going like that on the field. They are so stinking faithful. They are so dedicated. They come every Wednesday, snow, rain, sleet, whatever. They're there. They pray. They pray for missionaries here. NBC missionaries. They prayed for us. When we were home on furlough, and I know you've heard this before too, this was the only church out of our supporting network that would sit us down in the hospitality room and say, now would you tell us the goods and the bads of your ministry? 
And after a couple hours of praying and uh, talking and discussing and weeping, and I look at him, isn't this enough? Is it time? To, no, no, we want to hear some more. And then they brought out the food. And it just every time we were here, something was occurring and had been taught to you right in this church about how to love missionaries. Well, then we, on the field in our 14th year, after a furlough visit with our home office in Kokomo, Indiana, EBM President Jackson and I sat down and he said, John, we're looking for someone that would be a director of Africa, the whole continent, and the whole ministries that we have over there. There was about 100 missionaries in Africa. That's where EBM started. And so that was quite a responsibility. And I said, hey, I've got a man for you. And I did, and I, I shared the name with him. And Penny was sitting there in <clears throat> 1993. And he said, yeah, he's a good man, but he's not, he's not whom we want. And he looked at me and he said, John, we want you to return and be the director of Africa for EBM, which they desperately needed. And I looked at President Jackson, and I thought, how dare you? President of a mission agency asking a missionary to come back off the field, to come in the home office, how dare you? I didn't say that. I didn't say anything, in fact. He looked at me, and he asked me again. Finally, for the third time, he said, would you consider it, and would you pray about it? And I thought, oh, you're a meanie. <laughs> That's tricky. When you hear somebody, well, at least pray about it, would you? You know, that's their last dig. I said, Paul, okay, I'll, I'll pray about it. And there's no way I was coming back. Things were moving along well. We were on our fourth work. We had Cape Baptist Bible College. I was training young people and singles for the ministry, and it was occurring, and things were happening, and we were finishing up our, our, our fourth work. And how, how can you do this to me? So on the way from his office to his car, holding hands with Penny, I prayed silently about it. We got in the car, and I looked at Penny. I said, okay, I prayed about it. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, that's how unspiritual I was, and that's how much it gripped me. Hopes, hopes dashed. My heart sank and sunk at the same time. What, what, what are you doing, Lord? What, what's going on? Well, President Paul Jackson had a lot of patience. It was only a year and a half later that I finally said, okay, I'll commit myself to the will of God. Not to you or the board, but to the will of God. Well, as you can see, it was of the Lord that we did return. And when we returned, the second week 
Back in Binghamton, we went to the St. Lawrence River, and I just recently gave this illustration to you, you might remember. And the last day of the week that we were up there at, at a fishing cabins from our friend that owned the cabins from Central Baptist in Binghamton, Friday, Saturday morning, actually, before the sun came up, a wind came across from Canada, across St. Lawrence, and in a two-mile width, just tore everything apart. It was uh, micro uh, hurricanes, micro twisters, and it, it uh, just tore all of the St. Lawrence area up within those two miles, and we were right in the middle of the two miles. This is Saturday morning. We were leaving Saturday afternoon, and huge trees came down around us. I shared recently about how they almost fell on our son Jason and myself on the porch. Uh, Penny was ill, so I got out of that bed and moved to the porch and almost had a tree fall on me there. And a broken limb came through the roof of the cabin, came down and, and came right into the mattress where I was laying and within inches missed Penny. So we're huddled now. We got all the kids huddled in the middle of this cabin built in 1948. And we're wondering, what, what's going on? We're going to perish right here. And the whole thing was falling down around us. Huge, huge trees falling. Sounds like bombs going off out, out there. We didn't have time to look at each other as we huddled there and prayed and, and said to God, hopes dashed again? What, what's going on? Should we have never returned to the States? Did we miss, miss the train somewhere on your will, Lord? What's going on? Well, I'm standing here today, and we still got our four kids, and Penny's sitting here today. And so within, within a five-feet square, we were all safe with the whole cabin down and huge trees around us. I went out and saw the car that we just bought, a used car there in Binghamton, flatter than a pancake. Hopes dashed. But you know, since that time in 1995 in June, um, God has blessed our ministries over and over and over. And that, that's not bragging. That's not pulling up a banner and saying, hey, look at the Jacksons. That's not what I'm talking about. God renewed our hope in the years since 1995. We couldn't be happier, could not be happier than we are today and that God led us back here. Some of you uh, have been so kind in praying for our daughter Jamie and, and their hus her husband Aaron out in Iowa. We just spent uh, a week with them. Uh, a year ago, November... 18 or so, Jamie lost, and some of you can relate to this, lost a 17 and a half week old little baby girl named Gracie. Uh, no heartbeat, went to two different hospitals, two different doctors, 
no heartbeat after 17 weeks. Uh, and they induced her then the next day and gave birth to little Gracie, five and a half inches long. Put Penny on a plane and surprised Jamie the next morning there and uh, had a good time there, cried a lot. Ed, God renewed our hope. Penny and I got to hold little Millie these last six days. Millie, Amelia Kate, is that renewed hope? One year later, God gave a little one to the same gal, same hubby, same daddy that lost little Gracie a year ago. And I know some of you know what I'm talking about. I know you can relate to that. Renewed hope. There's nothing like it, is there? God deals with renewing your hope. Turn to Isaiah. Isaiah. I'm back in South Africa. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. By the way, Jess Ecker, whom you know, member of our church, being sent out by Northfield Baptist to Chile, South America, is leaving today. And will spend six months. She'll be back in June with her brother, going down to serve with her brother, Nick, whom I had on our soccer team for four years at BBC, and his wife, and their three children expecting their fourth one in May. So Jess will be a real help, and she'll be working with them as they begin new ministries or church planning in an area brand new to both, to all of them. So we're glad for Jess who's leaving and is... uh, Thank you very much for you folk, to you folks for praying for her, not only praying, but also uh, supplying financially at times. Let's look at Isaiah 40. While we're going to comment on the verses prior to this, let me read 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord, and the actual word wait is really hope. 
Yet those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Amen? You know, if you came in this morning really encouraged to be with your friends and your saints and your brothers and sisters here in worship, just reading those verses, if I let you go, unthinkable if I let you go now, but you, you would be doubly encouraged just reading those verses. It's encouraging to me. Wow. There is no medicine like hope, no incentive so great, no tonic so powerful as the expectation of something better tomorrow. O.S. Martin says. You hunters out there, you fishermen, you know what hope (laughs) is. That's what keeps some of us going. That's why we sit in a tree port, tree stand, for hours. Anywhere between 20 above and 20 below. If you saw a deer, you wouldn't be able to pull it. Your, your, your finger has gone numb. You can't move it. Or fishing for hours. I remember fishing for hours with my father. He would say, John, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Expectancy, the hope that will come. Not if, but it will come. Oxford Dictionary defines hope. A feeling or expectation and desire combined. A wishing for certain events to happen. That's not so bad. We can agree with that. We understand from a secular point of view, non-biblical point of view perspective, we can understand that. Their worldview will describe that to them, and we understand that. But the Bible hope that I'm talking about, and that we find here, and that I've talked about this morning, the Bible hope is a favorable and a confident expectation. A favorable and a confident expectation. In the Old Testament, the word hope is used 71 times. In the New Testament, it's used 72 times. There seems to be a theme there. If you run into the word hope wherever you're studying, Old Testament, New Testament, you were to run into the word hope, it's a theme for that particular passage, for those verses that you're reading It's a theme. Stick there. Study it for a while. Some of the quotes or verses that we have in the Bible that talk about hopes, and I know a hope. I I know you know what I'm, you know, I, I know you've heard these before. You've read them. The hope and resurrection of the dead. That's not we hope we're going to raise again from the dead. It's a certain expectancy. It's going to happen. The hope of the promises. The hope of the gospel. The hope of the glory of God. The blessed hope and appearing of our Savior. The hope of eternal life. 
my third and hopefully the last shoveling of my driveway was this morning at 7 o'clock. How dumb. I took a shower before I went out. <laughs> I put on a lot of deodorant and, and uh, men perfume, though, guys, so I, I should be okay. But I sweated it. I sweated it. Yep, I perspired. But what was neat is I came out, it was dark, you could just, just the moonlight, some of you were doing the same thing, I'm sure. But the first thing that hit me when I came out and I could see him was my neighbor Derek. He was doing the same thing. And he stopped and he saw me, he heard me come out and he stopped and looked at me, we were about 10, 10 yards apart, and he said, John, where have you been? We've missed you. This is the daddy of Caitlin and Noah that sometimes comes to the youth group. At least Caitlin does more than Noah. And God has wormed his way into their lives and he has been so good to us and them in bringing us together. Derek, the first thing, hey, John, where have you been? We've missed you. Last night... Just as it was getting dark, our neighbor on the other side of our home came over with a plate of of goodies. And I don't care where you're from, I'll take plates of goodies like that. Knocked on the door, I came to the door, Penny was out, and I, it was Roberto, Aaron's husband. We chat quite a bit. And Roberto is of another faith or another persuasion, and he said, where have you guys been? And he gave me a plate of cookies and a little Christmas card. We had a chat. I, uh, I practiced my Spanish with Roberto from El Salvador. God has given us a, a good ministry there. Prior to that, I'm going in reverse now. Prior to that, yesterday, on my second shoveling, and it was daylight, I, I, across the road, Ben, single fella, I've been trying to get with Ben ever since we've been there, and he's a tough fella, he's always out, and I was down at the end of our driveway, and I was shoveling, and, and Ben comes out, and he yells to me, hey John, where have you been? There's also a theme in, in this too, you know, <laughs> where have we been? And we met in the middle of the road and we chat, oh boy, all three of them know they should be coming here, <laughs> all three neighbors, <clears throat> had a great time with Ben, late 20s, our hope that these folks will come to know the Lord Jesus is being renewed, maybe 2018. At least getting with them and, and talking about the gospel. This last uh, couple months ago, uh, Pam and Nancy and Ryan and I part of the home office of Compass, went to Costa Rica. Some of you were praying for us. 
And we visited our young missionaries, also in their late 20s and early 30s, with a little, little boy, a year old Milo, doing incredible, incredible ministry. Josue is a national, he's Costa Rican. And Jamie is from southern, uh, eastern, southeastern Pennsylvania. And they have a ministry called New Beginnings. And while we were there in our six days with them, uh, let me explain. New Beginnings is a ministry with unwed teenage mommies and also trying to find the fathers. This is, this is uncultural for them to do this, to end up with these little ones and pregnant. The culture doesn't like it. So they shunned them. They turned their backs to them. Government, churches, uh, uh, high schools, all kinds of people that you think would rally around them and help. Well, we met the 16 gals that they work with. Some of them had their little babies. Some of them are ready to give birth to their babies. Uh, but they have a ministry, a vital ministry a really good ministry with them. They go into the high schools, particularly two that we went to, and minister to these gals. And we got to be around them. And the first family or first gal that we met, Josue and Jamie, took us to the home. It was raining, had been raining for some days. And we went in, and here's a little 14-year-old gal with a five-day-old baby in her arms. She was from uh, Nicaragua and uh, a man attacked her and the result was a little, little baby girl. She was sitting there with her mother and her auntie and a little three-year-old boy that they more or less picked off off the street and they were taking care of him we went in with Josue and Jamie and we talked with them and we shared we prayed we had a good time with them but we could see through their tears and their voice and their espanol uh, there any hopes for this mommy little 14-year-old of a future was dashed in terms of any kind of career. Now she's got the baby. And Josue and Jamie, uh, I believe, were the ones that talked her out of having an abortion. So if nothing else, they're helping these girls in this area. Their hopes were dashed. And then somebody mentioned, let's go get some groceries. So we went out, went back to town, bought the groceries, brought it back, and you should have seen the renewed hope in their eyes, in their voice, and their action. Despair turned to encouragement Wonderful diapers for the little one, clothes for mommy, food. And the minute we got in, the second we got in there, the little guy was given a piece of bread and peanut butter 
little three-year-old, and he couldn't have been happier. Running all over Goliath, Ryan, climbing all over him, pulling his beard, just having so much fun. But all of a sudden now, their, their lives are encouraged. And in, in, in essence, it was new beginnings for them. Isaiah prophesied 150 years before Israel was going into this captivity. And the writing of, of Isaiah 40 is the voice of God through the prophet Isaiah saying, you guys blew it, you're a bunch of sinners, and you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. However, the last three, four verses, however, <clears throat> I will give you new hope. You will come out of captivity. You will come back to Jerusalem. And you will not be the sinners that you were before. I spanked you out of love, out of godly discipline. And you're going to go back and you're going to be better Jews for me. And they were. And we see in verses, in verse 11, turn with me to verse 11. We see the greatness of God over the, uh, sorry, 15. The greatness of God over nations. The greatness of God. Verse 15. Behold, the nation are like, uh, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regards, regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. I am still the sovereign God over the nations. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonian and the Babylonians will do what I tell them to do, and they don't even know I'm telling them to do this. They will be my rod of chastisement. I will bring you back to me, Israel. In verse 22, the greatness of God over nature. It is he who sits above the vault of the earth and, is, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Sounds like Job a little, doesn't it? I cannot imagine what our Jewish uh, friends felt like years and years ago when they were hiked off to to uh, the Babylon to the Bab, uh, to uh, Nebuchadnezzar's land Babylonia the Babylonian captivity or exile refers to the time period in Israel's history when the Jews were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon it is an important period of biblical history because both the captive captivity and exile and the return or restoration of the Jewish nation were fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies. God used Babylon as his agent of judgment against Israel for their sins of idolatry and rebellion against him. There were actually several different times during the period when the Jews were taken captive by Babylon, several times, with each successive a rebellion against Babylonian rule. Nebuchadnezzar would lead his armies against Judah until they laid siege to Jerusalem for over a year, killing many people and destroying the Jewish temple, taking captive many thousands of Jews and leaving Jerusalem in ruins. Hope 
despaired. Hope destroyed. Desolate Jerusalem. As prophesied in Scripture, the Jewish people would be allowed to return to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile. The prophecy was fulfilled in 537 B.C. And the Jews were allowed by King Cyrus of Persia to return to Israel and begin rebuilding the city and temple. The return under the direction of Ezra led to a revival among the Jewish people and the rebuilding of the temple. The Babylonian captivity had one very significant impact on the nation of Israel when it returned to the land. It would never again be corrupted by the idolatry and false gods of the surrounding nations, the greatness of God over the nations. A revival among Jews took place after the return of the Jews to Israel and the rebuilding of the temple. We see those accounts in Ezra and Nehemiah as the nation would once again return to God who had delivered them from their enemies. In Psalm 137, 1 through 6, I read, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, Israel. We also wept when we remembered Zion, or Jerusalem. We hung our lyres on the willows, our guitars in its midst, for there those who carried For there, those who carried us away captive required us a song, and those who tormented us required us a mirth, saying, Sing! Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, they said. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not set Jerusalem above the highest joy. Dashed! destroyed. Lord, what are you doing? How can we live here? How can we go back? Isaiah 40, which is a whole new, new section in the book of Isaiah, talks all about this. You will go to captivity, but you will come again. In verse 29, A, he gives strength to the weary. We can have hope in his power. He gives strength to the weary. Are you tired? I don't mean shoveling driveways. Are are you tired of life? I visited Phyllis the other day, Phoebe's friend. 83, 84 years old in our neighborhood. Roger and Glenda's friend. Talk about vitality. Talk about spunk, spunkinuity. Is that, is that a word? This, she put me to shame. But I know she's tired. Ask these dear folks, their friends, her friends. She's tired. You're tired. He gives strength to the weary. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Are you tired? Sure. Yes, we are. We're tired of sin. We're tired of sinning. We're tired of corruptness. Corruption. We're tired of life. 
eye has not seen nor heart understood what has been made for you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Chuck Swindoll, the pastor in Texas, used to be, would come into the pulpit riding his motorcycle. I ought to try that sometime, huh? Anthony, don't you think it'd be a good idea if I came down the aisle and, you know, build a ramp for me so I can come up here? Writes this, encouraging words. Lots of things are fine in themselves, but our strength has its limits. And before long, fatigue cuts our feet out from beneath us. The longer the weariness lingers, the more we face the danger of that weary condition, clutching our inner man by the throat and strangling our hope, our motivation, our spark, our optimism, and our encouragement. Are you with me this morning? But let's understand that God does not dispense strength and encouragement like a druggist fills your prescription. The Lord doesn't promise to give us something to take, to take so we can handle our weary moments. He promises us himself. That where I am, you will be also. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Abide in me as I abide in my Father, Jesus said. That's all, and that's enough for us to have Jesus. Because the Savior says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come back to Jerusalem, Israel. I give strength to the weary. Are you weary, Israel? Yes! Do you want to be in Babylon? Most of them said no. Some of them stayed there. They thought they had it pretty good. But they came back. I will give strength to the weary. I hope you believe that. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 16. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. In the parentheses, by Pastor John this morning, strength comes many times through reading of the Word. Are you in the Bible? Do you have a daily schedule where you're in the Bible? Are you reading? Are you taking your encouragement pills by reading the Word <clears throat> daily? As Christians in 2018, we have the power of God to say these things. We have the power of God. We who are weary. I can get along with my spouse. Oh, that's a toughie. I can get along with my spouse in 2018. I can. It's possible. We will communicate in our marriage. marriage. 
I can discipline the children like God wants me to in 2018. Like God wants me to. I will stop watching garbage on TV. On the internet. I can do that. I can stop. I have a choice. I will stop overeating. I can find time to pray. I will love that person. I will love that person. I will stop gossiping and slandering. 29b through 30. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, we have hope in his strength. Not only in his power, but in his strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Power is the might available to us. Strength is the ability to use it. Power is the might available to us. Strength is the ability to use it. A month ago or so, I was, I was behind a pump organ going up stairs, a flight of stairs. I was the only one. Where are you guys? I'm back here all alone, pushing this thing. Three of them are out in front, up at the top, pulling it. There's something wrong with my left knee. Some of you know about that with your own knees and hips too. And it was giving out and it was extremely painful. And I'm pushing this organ up this. You hear me? An organ. Not a piano. An organ. A pump organ. 1865 organ. I'm sure Lincoln played it. (laughs) Probably didn't carry it or push it up a flight of stairs. And as they were working on their strategy above me, the three of them, I'm saying, Lord, I can't do this. My, my knee's given out. You're gonna, I've, I've gone to the end of my strength. I can't do this anymore. You're going to have to step in. Guess what? No pain in my knee, and I was able to push with no pain. Absolutely nothing. God will take us <laughs> to the end of our rope and then he'll tie the knot. What, what, what good is God if, if you can do it all yourself anyway? Big deal. It, it's your own strength. God steps in. He's there all the time, but he certainly steps in just when we need him because we've run out of strength to do it ourselves. wish I knew this when I was a high school student taking regents tests. I, I, I should have known. Have you ever heard someone say, I can't go another inch. I don't have the strength to finish the day. 
And to him who lacks might or strength, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. The most wearisome activities is the grind of the daily routine. The most wearisome activities are the grind or is the grind of the daily routine. You have to be with me to understand that. Most of us are not wearisome uh, from being a 911 dispatcher or an emergency squad person. Just living the life is a struggle. I wish I could gather you on an airplane and take you to West Africa and show you how people live to survive and survive to live in West Africa and the Sahara Desert. And I complain? Finally, we can hope in his timing. 31, yet those who wait or hope for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and become, not become weary. Renewed strength. This, this is renewing your strength. We all have to put our phones into the recharger. Okay, we know. This is a recharging moment. You should be walking with the Lord anyway. But this is a recharging moment. Wednesday nights or when you get together for Bible study or youth, those are recharging nights. That's fine. That's biblical. That's great. Prayer meeting, prayer times, getting together with saints uh, around the community in your church, they're all renewing our strength. We'll gain new strength. And we will sprout wings like eagles. That's motivation. That's motivation. An eagle, they say, has 7,182 feathers. The normal, average John Doe eagle has over 7,000 feathers. There's over 1,000 feathers on each wing. Each year, the eagle replaces each feather. You don't know it. We don't see it over several months. And never is there, are there two feathers adjacent go at the same time. They will mount up with wings like eagles. God can do that with eagles. He certainly will take care of our weary souls. And they will not get tired. They'll run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. <clears throat> We've, we enjoy it here at Northfield. And we appreciate very much, Penny and I, see what I'm doing? Very much your Christmas check that we received a couple weeks ago. We, we look at each other and we say we can't believe they're doing this. You're not weary, weary of us yet, maybe. And we're certainly not wearied. We want to thank you for that. We appreciate what you do for a part-time pastor 
and his wife. We want you to know that we are with you uh, every step of the way in 2018, that we're going to continue to hope, hopefully be an encouragement to you and not a hindrance. We, we want to be part of a, of a church that's not despondent, but a, a church that's motivated and encouraged. In 2018, there's some tremendous uh, renewal Revival times and greeting and times together. Lord bless you as you ponder and meditate on this passage, which was for Israel, interpreted for Israel, but certainly can be applied with New Testament scripture for us today. Be encouraged, please. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, ever grateful forever grateful to you, who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Sometimes we are on our knees and we say, Lord, where in the world are you? I'm weary. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, my hopes are dashed. I can't wait for you anymore. And yet you have been so kind giving us scripture and you've been so good to us. Thank you for what you're doing. May you bless 2018 as you will in our lives. Help us to be eagles and runners and coaches and mentors to each other. Help us to love each other and to greet this new year with a heart full of hope. In Christ's name, amen.